really want to encourage you to join us this Wednesday night. It's a great opportunity to hang, to be a family. We believe the church is a family, and so it's like having a great family dinner, great opportunity to meet new people, to relax, enjoy. One of the cheapest meals in town, for sure, and uh, this week is going to be fun. We're going to have some very creative artistic expressions, entertainment, and some worship as we have our multicultural jubilee, so make sure you join us this Wednesday night up here. Turn with me to the book of Galatians in your phone uh, or in your Bibles. We're going to be looking at the message translation. I've been studying Galatians as we're landing the plane and concluding with our last installment on the I Am Free series. We've been walking through the book of Galatians, and as I've been dissecting and studying Galatians 6 for these last couple of weeks and just looking at what I believe is the the best translation for personifying the heart of Paul uh, really catches the spirit of this, really, so let's say it this way, the heart of Jesus expressed through the Apostle Paul. I really landed on Eugene Peterson's translation of it in the message. And so we're going to actually read this whole chapter. So are you excited to hear the Word of God? Let's look at this. It says this, live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. Oh my gosh, that would change the whole world. That one phrase. (laughs) You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. If you think you're too good for that, you're badly deceived. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you have been given. And then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Be very sure now, you who have been trained to be a self-sufficient maturity, that you enter into a generous common life with those who've trained you, sharing all the good things that you have and the harvest. The person who plants, oh, experience, do not be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests the crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the work and the growth in him harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued at doing good. At the right time, we'll harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. Now, in these last sentences, I wanna emphasize in the bold scrawls of my personal handwriting, the immense importance of what I've written to you. These people who are attempting to force the ways of circumcision on you have only one motive. They want an easy way to look good before others, lacking the courage to live by faith that shares Christ's suffering and death. All their talk about the law is gas. Thank you. 
Eugene Peterson. They, they themselves don't keep the law, and they are highly selective in the laws they do observe. They only want you to be circumcised so that they can boast of the success in recruiting you to their side. That is contemptible. For my part, I'm going to boast about nothing but the cross of our master, Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, I've been crucified in relation to the world, set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into the little patterns they dictate. Can't you see the central issue in all of this? It's not what you and I do, submit to circumcision, reject circumcision. It's what God is doing. And he is creating something totally new, a free life. Say that with me, a free life. All who walk by this standard are the true Israel of God, his chosen people. Peace and mercy on them. Quite frankly, I don't want to be bothered anymore by these disputes. I have far more important things to do. The serious living of this faith, I bear in my body the scars from my service to Jesus. May what our master Jesus Christ gives freely be deeply and personally yours, my friends. Oh, yes. Don't you love that? Isn't that awesome? So today I want to talk to you on the topic, live creatively. Live creatively. I love how that first phrase is translated in Galatians 6, live creatively. And we're going to walk through this chapter and pull out some phrases that are going to allow us to do this. I told you last week about returning from southern Mexico and working with our friend who had spoken at our commissions conference, Miguel, who has founded this very unique ministry, helping immigrants who are trying to escape the challenges of bone-crushing poverty and the, the murderous cartels, and they're coming up on this train called the Beast from the very southern part of Mexico, many of them walking for hundreds of miles on feet, and they're landing in the city called Irapuato, where one of our teams was, and there this unique man, named Miguel, that's actually not even his name, we don't say his name because of all his work, he has founded this ministry that I've never seen before called Amigos del Train. And their whole purpose is to share the love of God. They're, they're washing people's feet. They're putting medication to soothe their sores. They're giving food. They're giving clothing. They're giving people a place to sleep. And every, really every person we saw was coming to know Jesus in this beautiful way. But our team got a chance to go to his house. And his house was absolutely lovely. It's lovely. It's amazing to see how someone who gave up everything, how much God gave him back. And on his wall, there were all of these pictures. And I loved this one because I thought it best personified who he was. It said this, be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. Be yourself. I actually, I took a picture of it because I thought that embodies Miguel. Be yourself. I'd encourage you to write that down today. Be yourself, for everyone else is already taken. And as I walked around this man's house, I thought, this is a guy who's being himself. All the art on his walls, besides these pictures, were art from restricted countries that we as Americans can't get into, that he has only been able to get into because the Lord has told him to go. And he, he told all these stories at commission conference about like 
going up to these different guard stations and them just sending him through or he'd go up and the security people would surround him and the power would just shut off. It's just amazing. And so sometimes you have a hard time believing, okay, did those stories really happen? Did you really go into those countries? I can attest he has because all his art on the walls is from these countries that you and I can't get into. And so that was amazing. Then I loved, I, 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 you, you, if you know me, you'll know that I really loved his vehicle in his garage. Can we show the vehicle? So he's from South America. When God called him to Mexico, instead of going on a two and a half hour flight, he drove this. He drove across all the South American countries, drove across Panama in this. It, it had to have a snorkel because sometimes he was crossing rivers in this. And you think, okay, well, why would you do that? That's just really weird. Why don't you just get on a plane? Well, could it be that God instructed him to drive because God was training him? Because now a big part of his life is when people get kidnapped and abducted, he takes off after them. And so he's always driving. He's, he's chasing down the cartels to rescue women and children who've been kidnapped themselves. You know, some of the passions that God's given you that don't really make sense to you, it's unbelievable how when you follow God, he redeems those passions. So this man who just likes to drive his four-wheel drive truck around, he uses it for the kingdom of God. A lot of husbands right now are turning to their wives and saying, see, honey, told you I need that four-wheel drive. But I, I loved seeing all of these immigrants and these these homeless people and, and, and their, their feet are being washed and, and clothes are being put on them. And at the end of the night, as I told you last week, we were just doing worship on the street and these people that we talked to who had come just that day who weren't born again Jesus followers now have their hands up and they're crying and they're jumping up and down. And at that moment, I thanked God. I was like, thank you, God, for bringing this unique man to this place because you've done something so beautiful that I've never seen before. I love that Galatians 6 starts with this phrase, live creatively, live creatively. And then it goes on to say this in Galatians 6, 5, don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. You see, the advertising world makes millions and billions off trying to tell us to be someone else. We get these celebrities, we get these idols, the amount of kids wearing Steph Curry jerseys, around the amount of people trying to be the latest influencer. And yet God is a God not of conformity, but of creativity. How many flowers do we need? Right? I, I could do with just roses. Right? That's, that's cool. Actually, someone gave me a rose the other day. They gave me a rose and they said, this is for all the women in your church. I was like, that's really interesting. Um, they handed me a rose. Uh, but uh, roses are cool. But, and so maybe you say, well, maybe we could have like three flowers, like a rose, a daffodil, an orchid. You know, that would be enough. Do you know how many flowers there are in the world? There's not just 40. I, I bet you can't name 40. I, some, someone's going to come up after the service and do this. But I bet you can't name 40 flowers. Do you know there's not just 40 flowers? There's not just 400 flowers. There's not just 4,000 
There's not even just 40,000 flowers. Do you know how many flowers there are in the world? There are 400,000 different types of flowers. Why? I think because God likes creativity and he's not into conformity. There's this study I, I was reading about this past week that when children are born, this was, uh, Erwin McManus goes into to this in one of his, his books. When children are born, this, this study uh, was done that 95% of children think creatively. They think uniquely when they're born. In fact, it said that 95% of children, there was a study of 1,600 children, 95% of children could be actually stated that they had, were creative geniuses, okay? 95%, so what does that mean? 95 out of 100 of you were creative geniuses when you were born. Sorry, the other five. <laughs> you probably were just having a bad day. 95% were creative geniuses that thought creatively, okay? So here's the crazy thing, though. By the time children are 12 years old, that number has dramatically gone down. So they were divergent thinkers before the age of 12. But by 12 years old and then by adulthood, 95% become conformity thinkers. And so in this test of creative genius, 98%, I'm sorry, 98% of five-year-olds were genius level. Now listen to this. Among 10-year-olds, 30%. So what does that tell you? When people start walking in the world and start going into our, our types of rote memorization type of education, now please, educators, now don't come up and bombard me. I'm I love education, but what I'm trying to say is the world is teaching us to conform. Hey, cut it out. Stop being so creative. So all of a sudden, 30% by the time they are 10 years old, 12%, 12% among 15-year-olds and creative geniuses, 2% among young adults, 2%. The world and the devil is trying to choke out your creative genius. You following me? The world and the enemy is trying to create, is trying to create a conformed, a, a controlled, a just be like everyone else culture, and that is not the God we serve. Do you know how many animal species they are? I'm content with puppies. Like dog, great thing. That's all I need. Um, there are 8.3, 8, let me, let me just make sure I've got this statistic right. 8.3 million species on earth. And then it says, give or take 1.3 million. That, that, is a, that is a very generalized scientist right there. I wish, I wish my math teachers would have let me. This is the answer, give or take 1.3 million. Don't compare yourselves with one another. One of the things that I, I can, uh, just drives me crazy about ministries is that when there's one type of person that is promoted, when everyone's trying to be like 
one person. Have you ever seen that? Everyone starts praying the same. Everyone starts dressing the same. There was, there was this one ministry I went to and everyone wore, wore pleated khaki pants. I was so confused, right? I was like, why is everyone wearing pleated khaki pants? But that, that is what we do. We find one person, we put them up as the superhero, then we try to talk like them, we try to sound like them. That has been one of our desires in this church is to create the opposite, to say, don't just try to be like me. I mean, of course, I hope that you could emulate my, my character, but don't, one of the things that you're gonna hear over the next month is numerous different preachers, and I hope that they don't preach like me. Sometimes people would say, Robert, I don't preach like you, and I say, great, because this church needs to hear numerous different types of people. But right? here's what I love about Ephesians 4. God didn't even create one type, one genre. He didn't, God didn't just create pastors to lead churches. Did you know that? Did you know that? You, you might not know that. Ephesians 4, listen to this. This is why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So who's been given a gift by God? Who's been given a gift by God? Okay, Uh, everyone should have their hand raised right now. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for the works of service. One of the dangers of the American church is we get this superstar that can do all these amazing things and they look so good and everyone comes just to be entertained by them. And God was saying, no, that was never the intention in my family. Like what a dysfunctional family if there's just one superhero and all the other siblings and the parents just go, wow, you're so awesome. You are the prototypical Jones or Smith and we all wanna be like you. No, that would be a very dysfunctional family. God created a family that everyone has gifts and everyone can thrive. And so he even sets out these five very different giftings to help not just lead the church, but to empower the people of God to do the works of the ministry. Who's supposed to do the works in the body of Christ? It's everyone, because God has given every single person a gift. So let's just talk about how different these five, we call this the five-fold ministry, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. Apostles, they break open new places and they, they create spiritual ecosystems. Prophets, they help foretell, and they call out giftings in people. Evangelists, they're continually sharing the gospel, and people are coming to faith continually. Pastors, they shepherd us. They comfort us. They counsel us. Teachers, they train us how to walk daily with God. And so on our staff, we have all of those different giftings. Why? To equip you to not be like one person, but to be who God created you to be, and we need you to be who God created you to be because you have the keys to unlock specific people in the city that need to come to Jesus. Does that make sense? So a teaching ministry is great, but it, it result, a great teaching ministry, when that's what a church is all about, you know what it results? It results in a big crowd that sit in chairs and go, wow, that was some great information. That's what it results in. But when you start having all the gifts, every person gets launched into the specific work they are created to do. And so speaking of that, let's go to this next phrase. Move to Galatians 6, 7 through 8. It says this, don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. Say plants, church. 
The, the church was never supposed to be a place where people just came and sat. The church is a group of planters. You're called to plant. Say, I'm called to plant. So, so my question is, what are you going to plant this week? Each person is called to plant. We don't think about that as much because we don't live in agrarian societies. But in the old days, the only way you could get food is not going to a supermarket and going to a shelf. I don't know if you know this, but actually food does not grow on a shelf. It doesn't even grow in a drive through window. Okay? doesn't even grow through a company called Uber. That bring, no, food, actually, this is amazing. It grows from the ground. And in the old days, what someone did is they actually planted something in the ground and then something grew. Okay, right? The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in, listen to this, this is so encouraging. The one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. Man, this has been a great couple of weeks for me because I keep meeting people in this church, I keep meeting different ones of you, or I keep having these conversations with ones of you who have been talking about how God is leading them to plant. Each person is to plant the way God leads them to plant. This phrase says, plant in response to God. So I got to sit next to Melanie DeSantos, uh, at, at that outreach, we were standing together at that, that outreach under the bridge, and she's talking about how uh, she's, she's um, a nurse, and she's talking about how she was wanting to help people, and so she launched, I keep meeting people that, in the church that have launched all these different things. I'm like, man, I, I, I need y'all to tell me this. I would be so much more encouraged if I knew. Um, so she's talking about this, this mobile clinic they launched downtown, and then she's like, yes, and then Carol and I are, 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 are wanting to actually start clinics for underprivileged people. We had this amazing experience. So Melanie and I are talking about this. I'm like, that is awesome. You go, this is a creative thing that you launched, and you're, you're helping people. You're seeing a need. You're helping people. This woman comes up to Melanie and I, and she has a crippled hand. So I don't know why she walked up to us, but she walked up to us with her hand like this, and she comes up just with these these pleading eyes, and, and she shows us how she can't, she tries to pull her fingers, they just come back, she cannot move her hand like this, and so we just grab her hand, and we're like, Lord, would you do something? So Melanie and I grab her hands, and as we're praying, we just feel a surge like of electricity. It just surges through us, and all of a sudden, she goes, boom, like this with her hands, and she starts going like this, like this. And, and then she, she, so her eyes get all big. She walks up, and I watch her walk up to people going like this. Like this. And I look at Melanie, and I, go, I say, you know why that just happened, Melanie, right? Because God has called you to be on the streets to do this creative thing, but he's, he wants you to remember, never forget the supernatural. Like, never forget that God's the God of the impossible. And so we bring our little loaves and fishes, but then God pours out his miraculous power and does things that we could never do. Can, can I just tell you, we, we creatively do what God's called us to do, but then God gets, us, gets involved. 
Um, I've, I've been corresponding back and forth with one of the guys that I invested in here that, you know, he was always trying to find what, what was he called to do. And for a while, he did a pastoral internship here, and it just didn't seem to fit. But now he's, all, all of a sudden, he, he feels called to run for Congress, and God is just opening up doors. And so he's getting sent the stuff where he's on the, on the news, and, and things are just breaking open for him. And, and he, he would have never dreamed of this. This wasn't his plan, but he's just trying to follow the steps of the Lord. I love when someone just does what God has called them to do, right? I'm, I'm looking at Sherry. This isn't in my notes, but Sherry, she had a heart. She was seeing, she, at the time she was a single mother, and she was seeing different ones that were single mothers struggling. And, and so she, she, people started giving to her. She was crying out, God, would you meet my needs? And she said, I ended up getting more than I needed, so I started giving it away, and all of a sudden, it created a ministry called Bridge of Hope where she has been able to provide for so many refugees, immigrants, people living on the street. It's just amazing as we plant in response to God. One of my uh, heroes, he's been a friend of this church. He's spoken uh, for us at different times. His name's Lou Engel. And, and Lou had this burden to pray and to contend. He was brokenhearted with abortion in America. Okay, so he's just absolutely brokenhearted by this. And so God gives him this thing of create prayer meetings. Do you know that for years his prayer meetings had three people? But he just said, I'm going to sow. Because you don't know what God's going to do. You don't know what God's going to do. So he just kept praying and praying and praying for this. It culminates in thousands, tens of thousands, millions joining prayer groups to see abortion ended in this generation. Now, here's the amazing, here's the amazing thing about what happened with Lou Engel. Um, there ends up being a generation that has a mindset change. Was it just Lou? No, I'm, I know there's many people in here that that is what you have contended for. Here, here's what you have to understand. When we plant righteousness, there is a supernatural power on this. Do you know that there's an enemy that's trying to steal, kill, and destroy? Every time God wants to do something, the enemy comes to oppose it. Every time there's a salvific move in the world, the enemy comes to try to steal it, to kill it. Okay, so think about it. The children of Israel are captives. You remember this? And what does God do? God raises up, he's raising up a man named Moses to save them out of captivity. What is the enemy's response? Pharaoh sets a decree to kill all the children, to throw them into the Nile. You remember you remembering this? Okay, so then what happens when God brings Jesus onto the scene? God's bringing Jesus onto the scene. Herod sets a decree to kill all the children. Why? Because in the same way God says live creatively, right, the enemy says, no, I want death, and I want conformity. I want oppressive death. So what happens when Jesus is coming on the scene is that Herod sets a decree to kill all the children under two. Do you remember this? So do you, do you know the last massive move of salvation that hit the United States? Do you remember what that was? We talk about it all the time. It's called the Jesus Movement, right? Started in 69. Do you know what year it hit its peak at? 19, see if you recognize this, 1973. 
When was Roe versus Wade codified into law? 1973. The enemy always wants to steal, kill, and destroy when people are coming to faith, when life is coming about, so that happens, right? And so then it seems impossible. Guys, did you, do you understand what a profound miracle we had this week by people who said, I'm going to do something, even though it doesn't make sense. I'm going to pray. I'm going to partner with God on the 50-year jubilee. So let's believe now for the next move of God, and let's believe for God to return all the destruction to bring good and life. In Jesus' name, amen? Unbelievable. And Lou Engle, man, th this is the next phrase, don't give up. Don't give up. Galatians 6, 9 through 10. So let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we, say it with me, don't give up. Say it one more time. Don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. I love that this is the next phrase after planting in response to God because the main reason that visions and prophetic words don't happen is not because God didn't want them to happen. It's not because God doesn't have power to make them happen. Do you know the main reason people don't live up their destiny? The main reason is people give up. Don't give up. Okay, put your finger right here. Say, don't give up. Don't give up. You will see the promises of God if you don't give up. Up. If God has given you a promise, you will see it. But you can't give up. Don't give up. Don't quit. I remember when God called Stephanie and I, it was our first house that we were ever going to own. And God spoke to us about building a house debt-free. But first he had us give all our money away. Those two things don't work together. And so then we try to buy a piece of land and the man tells us it's not for sale. Okay, it's hard to build a house when the person won't sell you the land that you know you're supposed to build on and you have no money to, to do that. But if God has told you, it will happen if you don't give up. Okay, that, this, is, this is why we need the church because we need people looking at us and saying, don't give up. We need people who say, do you remember that word you were given? Do you remember that prophecy you were given? Do you remember that wh what you told me when I first met you that was in your heart? Don't give up. Don't quit. Man, it took months just to buy the land. We knew we had seen this land in a dream. And so I knew it was from the Lord. And I called and they said, no, it's not for sale. So what do you do? What do you do? Don't give up. That's the right answer. What do you do? So I called the second month. Nope. The third month. Nope. The fourth month. Nope. The fifth month. Nope. The sixth. Nope. Seventh. Nope. Eight months. Nope. Not 11 months. Don't give up. Okay? Throughout that whole time, I was praying. This guy's name, his last name was Pharaoh. And I was like, Lord, soften Pharaoh's heart. I kept praying for his heart. In the 11th month, I call him and he says, Robert, I have had a change of heart. I had been praying, God, get his heart. He goes, actually, I had a heart attack. I was like, oh, I didn't mean that way. Get his heart, Lord. He ended up selling us the land. 
right? Then, then we started building. We didn't have, we didn't have money. We, we started building. We ran, in the middle of building the house, we ran out of money for months. And I just, I wanted to quit. And I'll never forget my pastor looking at me. And he said, from Galatians 6, he looks at me and he goes, do not be deceived. I went, ooh. He goes, God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. He goes, you sowed into this, you believed in this, God will not be mocked. Can I just tell you, God will not be mocked. If he has given you a word that your children are coming back to the Lord, you stand on that word. God will not be mocked. Don't give up. If he has given you a word that you're gonna have a different job, that you're gonna start a new career, don't give up. If he's given you a word that you're going to a certain place, don't give up. If he's given you a word that you're gonna be free from addiction, do not give up. You will see the word of God fulfilled if you don't give up, you don't quit. I think about my, uh, that, that, that the day that we finished that house, I mean, there were so many times that I wanted to give up, but the day we walked in and it was complete and you just sit down and you're like, thank you, God, that I'm actually seeing a real vision come to completion. Can I tell you, it's not just for people like me. It's for everyone in this tent. You will see the fulfillment of the word of God if you don't give up. Just take a moment right now. What's the thing that God's spoken to you that you're believing for? Just write that down and write next to it. Just put it in your phone if you don't have something to write with. I do this all the time. I just open a note, write down what God has spoken and then next to it say, don't give up. Write, don't give up. I don't know what it is all over this tent. It's gonna be so many different things. One more main point. Galatians 6, 14 through 15 says this, for my part, I'm going to boast about nothing but the cross of our master, Jesus Christ, because of the cross. I've been crucified in relation to the world, set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into little patterns that they dictate. Can I just tell you, you're set free from trying to please others. You might have had a controlling mama. God sets you free. God's bigger than your mama. Right, you might have had a really cool click in your high school, and they were always trying to say you have to be this way. Can I tell you, God's a lot bigger than your click. You don't have to. You might have a really rough boss that's always telling you you have to be exactly this way. Can I tell you, you got a much bigger boss. You tell that boss that your real boss is a Jewish carpenter, who's a creative carpenter, right? And he's shaping you. And I, I just want to tell you that you don't have to live, I love that phrase, the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others. The only person you have to please, church, is the Lord. Every day, wake up. I'm living to please you, Lord. I'm not living. Do you know I love, I adore my wife, but I'm not living to please my wife. If you live to please your wife, you'll never please your wife, man. Women, if you live to please your husband, you'll never please your husband. But if you live to please God, he will make you into the spouse who most blesses your spouse. Don't live to please your children. Children, don't live to please your parents. Live to please God, and he'll make you the most godly child, the most godly husband, the most godly wife, the most godly friend. 
It's in pleasing him and him alone. You're set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into the little patterns that they dictate. Man, we are in a world that is saying you have to fit in this little pattern. And God's saying, no, I've set you free. I have set you free. You are free to hear the Lord and obey and become who he has called you to be. I think about my, uh, my college roommate. And he really had to learn this because his father was a doctor and his older brother was a doctor and his twin brother was a doctor. And so he comes and, and man, his mind did not work like this. His mind, he was an artist. And I, I just want to show you because he had to fight through Man, I can't be them. And so, so often, because he was not like his father, because he was not like his older brother, because he was not like his twin brother, he had to deal with this condemnation. Have you ever felt condemned? Because you're looking at other people and you're saying, man, I can't be them. But what came out of him? Can I just show you a, a, a few of the, of the things that came out of him as he decided to be himself? Do you have these paintings? That's not a picture. That is a painting, okay? Here's some more. That is not a photograph. That is a painting, okay? Let's show one more. When he was set free to be who he was, the, the beauty of creativity came out of that. Instead of condemning himself because I, 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 I don't fit my family standard, and, and, and I don't look like my brothers, he ends up writing this book. Some of your children have read it. If they haven't, I, it, it's great. From in the belly of the earth, it became the number one book on the Amazon movers and shakers. And now, who cares what things are, are ranked, but what an amazing deal that he followed who God created him to be, right? Many of us, we finished Summer Nights last year with this. Let me show you this picture of this movie he created, This is Alaska Jack. That's me and him being who God created us to be. I'm so glad that he decided not to be a doctor, right? Think about an artist being a doctor. They're like, here's your baby. They kind of like paint their face or something. Um, Instead, he became who he was created to be. And what is happening is tons of people and tons of children are coming into faith and coming to understand the beauty of who God created them to be. He is creating something totally new is what scripture says. It says it is what God is doing and he is creating something totally new, a free life. Um, Here's what I've noticed. When I look at other people, that's when I get the most depressed in life. Every week, numerous times a week, I go to the gym, and I like the gym unless I look too much at other people because I know I look massive up here. Why are all of you laughing? Like every, that was the first thing I got every single one of you to smile at. Believe it or not, there are bigger guys in the gym than me. And I could get so discouraged if my identity is being the biggest guy in the gym, okay? Uh, another thing I do, 
every week is I am on the football field trying to be a supportive dad to my boys. And you know, I, I, sometimes I feel good about myself, how engaged I am with my boys. There are these two dads that are always there before me and after me. I'm like, I can't be, I can't be there more. I'm like, why do you have to always be here more than me? And in fact, one of the dads like is filming for the team. And so if I was like, hey, I'm the most present dad, no, there's someone always beating me, okay? One of my hobbies, I love to fish. But there are numerous guys, I'll, I'll be, every once in a while I'll show like a fish and then some guy will be like, oh, that's an awesome fish, look at this. Like awesome, right? I, I like to surf. There are so, I mean, I'm better than like a three-year-old. Are you following me? And how about my job? I actually love to preach, but man, with current podcasts and YouTube, I can get on and be like, man, that guy's one-liners, that guy's cadence, right? That guy's just coolness in preaching. I, I'm not the best in the gym. I'm, I'm not the most present dad. I, I'm not the greatest fisherman. I'm certainly not the greatest surfer, and I can't, I don't, I, I'm not the coolest, most prolific and, and have the best cadence preaching. But you know what? No one can out Robert Herber Jr. me. <laughs> Notice how I even had to put a junior. <laughs> no one, no one can be a better creative you than you can be. And God's not looking for another He's not looking for the next Billy Graham. Did you know that? God's not looking for, for the next singer, that whoever's the top on the charts, right? God is not looking. God is looking for you to be you because you have the keys to untold numerous hearts on earth and you are supposed to bring something into creation and who knows what God's deposited in you and what God's gonna unlock in you and how you're gonna touch your family and your friends and your neighborhood and this city and your career and your job and your school in a way that only you can, and you're gonna display the creativity and the loveliness. And when you're you, you set other people free to be them, and they stop living under the tyranny and the oppression of having to fit in and having to sit in these stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and controlled by these little patterns of the world. You set them free to be loved and to love. Be You, be who God created you to be, live creatively. Stand up.